What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Tonight, we're going to be talking about The Choice, chosen episode four. So as we're getting into it, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter four. Very short trek from the front cover. Genesis chapter four. Tonight we're going to be talking about the choice. We had uh, chosen episode four. We finally got we got to see a miracle, right? Or at least Dallas and teams pre- uh, prediction. No, depiction. That's the word I'm looking for of the miracle that converted Peter. So the the filling of the nets with fish and there it was kind of a fun moment, right? Everybody's like walking over. Jesus is kind of giggling on the side of the shore, you know. It, it did such a good job with that moment. But but what happens is av- all, everything comes to a head, basically, for Peter, and Jesus bails him out in an unexpected way, despite his lack of faith. And so what happens in that moment is is Peter falls to his knees, and this is biblical, says, anything you ask of me, Lord, I will do it. And so Jesus has him get up, and he says, follow me. That's his request. Follow me. And Peter's like, okay, like I can do, I can do that. Where are you going? You know? (laughs) And he calls the other, other disciples, the fishermen with him. Right. And, and, you know, Peter makes a joke as they're walking off the shore. You sure you don't want to do this a few more times? Like, like we can can make some money for this whole endeavor real quick before, you know, we go do whatever we're doing. But, but, but there's this moment there where Peter makes a choice and the choice is whether or not to follow Jesus. And tonight I want to talk about what that choice is, and I want to talk about some some context around that choice. And I'm going to try very, very, very hard not to use churchy language. Because I grew up in church. I think a few of you guys might have grown up in church. I don't know what your experience was or wasn't like. But we have all these strange terms that we throw around regarding the choice to follow Jesus. And, well, the average Joe who didn't grow up in church or perhaps hasn't been relatively acquainted with the Protestant faith, it's gibberish. It's really what it is. So I'm going to try to dive into that with you guys tonight. We're going to talk about the choice. Some of us have made it. Some of us haven't. Some of us probably need to make it again. (laughs) Maybe it's something that we renew daily. Who knows? We're going to dive in tonight. So Let's uh, let's start with just a few questions. If you're a writing man, you're, I'm going to ask you these. You can write them down. But I hope that after studying tonight and 
maybe in the quiet of the night, you'll be able to answer these very succinctly. Four questions, very easy, no problems. One, who are you? Two, what are you doing with your life? Three, what are you willing to die for? Four, what do you spend your day living for? Who are you? What are you doing with your life? What are you willing to die for? And what do you spend your day living for? So I thought I'd keep it light and humorous tonight, so. <laughs> it's like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going to have fun tonight as well as get some good work done. I got saved when I was nine. Got saved. We're going to talk about what that means in a second. I got saved. What I did is I prayed a prayer. I was part of a American kickboxing school and the guy was kind of evangelical and so he covered a bible verse every night before we went and beat the heck out of each other the joke was people got saved here because we didn't give them a choice <laughs> it's kind of fun but I, didn't, I didn't know what i was doing i just knew that romans ten thirteen for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved and i thought gee why wouldn't you? And so I went with the guy and prayed, prayed the prayer. There's a different version of it, depending on the Protestant church that you go to. Prayed the prayer and I was saved. And I went home and I told my mom and she's like, well, that's really sweet. I'm really looking forward to you growing in that. Because my mom was a lot wiser than I and I thought that I had just secured my entry into heaven. I'm not really going to talk about heaven and hell, but I do want to talk about the choice that we make to follow Jesus and how we bear that out every day. And in order to understand saved and sin and all that stuff, we actually have to go back to the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis 4 in the first place that the word sin is ever used, or at least in the first place biblically the word sin is ever used. Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife eve you guys know the story right adam and eve hanging out in the garden somebody eats the apple or the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil that's not good they get kicked out and we pick up there now the man knew his wife eve and she conceived and bore cain saying i've produced a man with the help of the lord verse two next she bore his brother abel now abel was a keeper of sheep and cain the tiller of ground in the course of time cain brought to the lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel, for his part, brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you did well, would you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you but you must master it. Let's put a pin in that real quick. That word sin 
if you're an underlining guy, you might want to underline it because that's the first time it appears in the Bible. And it's extremely important concept, biblically speaking. The word sin, there's there's two different words for it. Here in the, the Hebrew, originally, the word is kata, K-H-A-T-A. K-H-A-T-A. Later on in the New Testament, it's in Greek. The word is hamartia. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Hamartia. And it has quite a few different meanings, actually. What's really interesting, in the very first place that it's used in the Bible, God is telling Cain that he has a choice to make. He gets to choose whether or not he's going to do something terrible. Sin, in Hebrew and Greek, means a few different things. One of them is to miss the mark, like an archery. Another, in the Greek specifically, is the fatal flaw of the villain in a play. They got everything going for them. They're super intelligent, yet they're really greedy about this one thing leads to their downfall. Ultimately, that's their sin. That's their hamartia. The first time it's used in Genesis, sin is, well, whether or not you're going to do something terrible. Ultimately, it's a, it's a failure to live up to what God created you for. It's a failure to glorify him in the creation of you. Everybody say this with me. God is good. God made me. And God only makes good things. So the first time it's used in the Old Testament, sin is a transgression. We use those interchangeably in the church often, but it's a transgression. It is a corruption of the best that you could have been. And it's really interesting. This is before Jesus. This is before the law. But here's sin. And what does God say to Cain about it? You must master it. Sin is lurking at your door. It wants to have its way with you. Some translations make this sound like it's kind of like a predatory cat, like a mountain lion. You get to decide whether or not you're going to tangle with that thing or not. I advise you, do not. Well, we all know the story of Cain and Abel, right? He does not master the sin, the urge to do something he knew was wrong. And he was punished for it. And like, man, the Old Testament's full of that. <laughs> is it not? My life is full of that. I knew what I shouldn't be up to, and I was doing it anyway. That's called a sin of commission. That's the way it's used in Genesis 4, sin of commission. Commission is transgression against something you know you shouldn't be up to but you did it anyway it's kind of like running a red light you're like oh no oh dang it oops we weren't supposed to we ran anyway 
Now, again, I'm going to try really hard not to use churchy words here, but that's what sin is in the first time it's used in the Bible. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. So let's flip to one of the last times it's used in the Bible. We're going to go to James 4. Don't worry, we're going to end in Isaiah. You're like, why am I doing all this Isaiah reading? You're never in Isaiah. Don't you worry, we're getting there. You got to get a lot of Isaiah under your belt before any of it starts to make sense, or at least that's been me. So Jesus fills Peter's boat with fish. He says, I'll do anything you want. He says, follow me. And Peter says, okay. Does Peter know what the heck he's getting himself into? No. He has no idea. But he knows it's better than what he was up to. Ah, that's important. James chapter four. I almost read this whole chapter to you out loud just because I, I love this is my second favorite book of the Bible, and I just can't get enough of James. James is the man. Uh, I mean, Jesus is the, you know what I'm saying. J James wrote a good book, all right? James chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows what's right and does not do that, to him it is sin. So the first time the word sin is used in the Bible, we're talking about things we're not supposed to be up to, like killing our brother because we're angry. We go through the Old Testament, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Lots of things you shouldn't be up to, right? And then Jesus comes along and in the New Testament, now we're starting to talk about sin in a different light. To anyone who knows what's right and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now don't worry, the New Testament still uses the word sin in the old context, the commission context. Things we shouldn't be up to, but still go about anyway. But after Jesus, sin takes on a completely new meaning, too. And that is to say, the things we know we should be doing and are not doing. Wrap your head around that for a second, because making a list of things you shouldn't do is pretty easy. My sons are having a war with gravity right now. What I mean by that is my oldest just broke his arm, falling out of a rope ladder in the tree. He's been up there for years, He's never fallen off of it, but for some reason he decided to wear rain boots, slipped off that sucker, boom! 
gravity. I'm not saying it's a sin, but if you were going to make a list of rules in your war with gravity, one of the rules should be, thou shalt not climb a rope ladder with thine rain boots on. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Now it says nothing about how one should climb a rope ladder. You do it with two hands and then another and then a foot and then a, like it, nothing about what you should do, but let's avoid some of the things that lead to broken arms. Sound like a plan? Learning that list the hard way, bro. My other son, he's at war with impulse control. I don't know. I don't know what wisdom is. So there's this lady coming to our house to pick up something from my wife. And she's idling in the, the, the driveway, okay? And they're having conversations as mothers tend to do. And they're just talking. And my three-year-old's running around her car and start just running and running and running. He's having a grand old time. And then my wife hears a scream from behind the car. It's not moving. The car is, the car is not moving. <laughs> so she goes over and he has shoved his hand up her tailpipe and pulled it out really fast, as you might imagine, with second degree burns over his hand. The law is thou shalt not shove thine hand up a tailpipe. Now what should one do with a tailpipe? I don't know, leave it alone, that's probably a good call. But among the things you do not do is you do not shove your hand up a tailpipe. So here's the thing, here's the thing. In the Bible, sin starts as a list of things that would be a really good idea if you did not do. We call that the law. And the law is very important because the list of things that lead to death lead there relatively rapidly. Don't fall off a rope ladder. Just don't, just don't do that. That'd be great. Because a broken wrist happens very fast. But while you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, wondering what you should do with yourself, where's the law about that? What should you be up to with all of your spare time when one is not doing all of the things that lead to death? You guys see the problem here? After Jesus, the list becomes something different. This choice to follow Jesus is simultaneously a choice to turn from evil, to turn from the sins of Cain, so to speak, to turn from the things that we know we shouldn't be up to, and to turn towards something different. Let's be honest, if every guy in this room I'm not saying the Bible isn't worthy of this space, but let's put the Bible aside for a second. Let's say if every guy in this room sat on the edge of his bed and said, what am I doing? That's a really stupid thing that I need to stop doing. You'll come up with a list pretty quick. Simultaneously, if you ask the question, what am I doing? Or what am I not doing? That would be a really good thing that I know I need to be up to. And I'm not doing it at all. What is that? You'll get a list pretty quick. I need to spend more time with my kids. I need to speak more kindly to my wife. I need to stop speeding on my way to work. Whatever. Like, 
Like you'll come up with a list so fast, it will scare you. You guys feel me here? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19. I told you we would get to Isaiah. I told you we're going to get there. Isaiah chapter 30. What does this have to do with the choice? We'll get there. But we had a big list of don'ts. After Jesus, we have a calling on our lives about some do's. And Isaiah spells it out hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. Isaiah chapter 30, we pick it up in verse 19. You guys read this this week. Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cries, and when he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, capital T, will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will see him. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, in your ears will be a word behind you that says, this is the way. Walk in it. Then you'll get rid of your silver-covered idols and your gold-plated images. You'll scatter them like filthy rags and you will say, away with you. And then chapter 23, or excuse me, verse 23 through verse 26, I'm not going to read it all, but basically everything becomes as it should be as a result of, gee, doing what the teacher tells you to do. <laughs> There's this very powerful thing that happens when Jesus shows up with regard to sin. Remember, missing the mark, hamartia, the fatal flaw that makes the villain the villain in the plays of, of Greece. That's the word they use to describe sin. Something happens to sin. It, be, it goes from being a list of don'ts to a choice to turn from that list to something better. What is the better? What did Jesus say to Peter? What does he want from Peter for this miracle? What does he want from Peter? Follow me. That's it. That's all he wants. That's the choice. In Christian understanding, in the story of the Bible, this is what's happening when you make a decision. You understand? There's more to it than that. There's things about sacrifice and him coming, and I'm not blowing over those. That's very important. But I told you I wanted to stay away from churchy words for just a second and help you understand there's something that happens when a man in his life says, no more of this. I'm not allowing this stuff mastery over me anymore. I'm done with it. I'm turning from that. I'm repenting. I'm done with it. I'm done with the alcohol, I'm done with the porn, I'm done, whatever it is, whatever it is that you know you shouldn't be up to, and you're up to it anyway, you turn from that. And then what happens? Well, you're not twiddling your thumbs playing video games. There's some stuff to do. Like a lot of stuff to do. And what's really interesting is I, I spend a lot of time with guys. 
sit down to lunch with them. I go on hikes with them. I, I pray over them. I talk to them. And ine- inevitably, there's, there's, a, there's a place in a man's life where he struggles with his faith. I struggle with my faith. Remember, I, I prayed the prayer when I was nine. I grew some frontal lobes and went to college. And then the rational side of me was having a really hard time with the parietal lobe here. If you don't know neuroscience, all I'm saying is I got too smart for my own good. And while I was doing stupid stuff I knew I shouldn't be up to, I was like, I don't know about dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. So what does the Bible have to say about that? I had no mastery over my own life and I'm whining about things that I'm worried about that contradict scriptural biology, right? I don't know how to be a man. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to raise my children, but I'm, I'm worried about what this book says and how it might contradict this book. And I don't know why Elijah suck a bear on those kids. Like, I was really struggling with my faith. I'm making fun of me then, but it was real to me then. God showed up in my life. I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you guys in a couple of weeks. God showed up in my life. And I had a choice to make. Was I going to keep doing life that way? Or was I going to turn from those things and do what I knew was right? And follow Jesus, not knowing what that meant. I did not know what it meant. I'm still trying to figure out what that means sometimes, man. Not not just what the Bible says about it. But when I have an argument with my wife, or when my three-year-old doesn't eat his food at the dinner table, what does it mean to follow Jesus here? Some idiot yelling at me in the Walmart parking lot because I'm, well, I wouldn't be really following Jesus if I think he's an idiot. But anyway, I'm work. see, I'm, wor- <laughs> I'm working on this frog, all right? But I'm thinking like, what does it mean to follow Jesus here? I'm asking the teacher inside, what's the right way? And, and how do I go about that? Because that's what we're going to see unfold in Peter's life as we watch him through the chosen. He does not know what he's getting into. He has no idea. Sure, I'll follow you. <laughs> oh, great. Get ready, man. You're going to be walking on water. You're going to be healing blind people. You're going to start the church. That's what's in front of him. He has no idea that that's what's in front of him. Walking with Jesus is a really cool turning from terrible things and going, you know what? I have no idea what's in store, but I know it's going to be way better. Some of you are falling asleep on me. You should be really happy about this. I don't know what's in store, but I know it's going to be better. I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know what slings and arrows are going to be thrown at me. In our reading in the next two weeks, we're going to be reading about the start of the early Christian church and all the stuff they went through. But they didn't care. They didn't care what the world was going to throw at them. Because at least for them, they had turned from death to life. Do you understand? Have I used too many churchy words? Or are we all understanding this concept in a slightly less churchy way? And that is salvation. 
I put air quotes because when I was nine, I thought that I needed to pray a prayer to keep from going to hell. And I'm not throwing that off the table for the moment, but I'm just saying, look at your life. The choice that we make to follow Jesus affects us today and affects us tomorrow. And heaven's awesome, man, but it's not why we're doing this thing. You understand? Salvation, the word in, in Greek, salvation is to be whole. Not just to be saved, to be whole, healed. No part of you is following that dark path anymore. You're moving in the right direction. And that's what it means. That's like when... When the pastor says, hey, if you haven't made a decision for Christ, slip your hand up. He's saying, look, I don't know where you're at, and you probably don't know what you're getting yourself into. But if you haven't made that decision, or you did a while back, and you're like Alex and walk down a dumb path, and you're ready to, ready to recommit. That's, what, that's the churchy word, recommit. That means to make the decision over again because you're stubborn and bullheaded and grew frontal lobes or whatever, and, and you've decided that you need to turn the tide. And that's what it means to be baptized. It's the outward symbol of the, of the disappearance of the old man and the rising again of the new man to walk in that way. Nothing magical about being dunked underwater, unless it's really cold. That'll wake you up real quick. I shouldn't have joked about that. But anyway, it's there. So <laughs> take that. Being saved is to turn from sin, selfishness, pride, bitterness, anger, greed, contentedness, all the list of things that we're not supposed to be up to that the Old Testament makes very clear and to turn towards something better, which is to follow Jesus. And sorry, kid, I can't tell you where that's going to lead you. I can't tell you it's the adventure of your life, though. So this is the this is the decision we make. Bless you. And every man gets that opportunity. Every man will come to a point in his life where he goes, I don't know what went wrong. I don't know how I got here. But I've got a choice to make. And I hope that if every man in this room has made that decision, he'll keep following Jesus in that moment. And if you haven't, I hope that deconstructing some of these churchy words has made it a little more clear to you today. We're going to discuss more of this as we get into our, our group. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father God, thank you so much for this night, and thank you for these men. Thank you for the choice that you've given us. God, let us not take that lightly. Let us be men who aren't like Cain <laughs> and refuse to master the sin in our lives. And let us be men who know what's right. And when we do, when we feel that pull in our heart that says, look, you know this is the right thing to do, man. Get it done. When we feel that pull in our hearts, God, let us choose that. 
teach us what it means to follow you. Come what may. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.